0: Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? If you have been following with us, we have been in a series called Precious Faith, and uh, we are departing for one Sunday. I'll tell you why in just a moment, but uh, our text today is actually from Luke chapter 10, and we've got the words up here. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, open our hearts. I pray you'd make this a safe place where we don't feel like we have to defend ourselves. That we're in the presence of God, we're in the presence of the God who loves us. And Lord, any conviction that you bring to our hearts, it's so that we can be freed and healed. And so we welcome you. We welcome the truth. Come into any darkness that's in us and have your way, Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, a couple weeks ago, I sent out, uh, I actually read an open letter to African-Americans and to uh, African-American pastors uh, just asking for forgiveness. And that letter which actually we're gonna send it out on Tuesday to our whole mailing list because I want every everybody of color to, to read that letter and know my heart in this. Well turns out that I'm I'm part of a group of pastors and the leader of that group said we need to do more with this Tom and, and so he he took my thing and he he added some things and, and crafted it a certain way and he sent this out to white pastors all over this region and 75 of them signed on to this confession and, and we sent, and then he sent that out to African-American churches and um, different news sources that this is an open letter from white pastors. Well, part of that letter said this, on June 14th, we will all speak on racism. We, we are gonna dedicate a Sunday to address this issue. And so that is this Sunday. So the title of the message is Repenting of Complacency Towards Race. So it was originally titled Repenting of Racism. But I realized something. Whenever you use the term racism, everybody has a different definition and exactly what it means and and what it means. so I, 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 I renamed it, this, this title, and um, I want to I wanna help us to define what I'm trying to get at here. So the movie is Hidden Figures, and it's... Katherine Johnson is the black lady and she has, they have now granted that, that you can use the white bathroom. And so this scene is she's in the bathroom and her supervisor, Vivian, played by Kirsten Dunst, is in the bathroom with her. And Kirsten Dunst says this to her, I just want you to know that I personally don't hold anything against your people. And Katherine Johnson says back to her, I sincerely believe that you believe that. That's the scene. So we have two different definitions of racism happening right here, okay? So the narrow definition of racism is where you hate somebody or are angry at somebody or you are suspicious of somebody just because of their skin color. And this can be black versus white, white versus black, brown versus black, brown versus white, white versus brown. It, it, it can go all over the place where you see that color skin, and because of a wound, because of prejudice, because of whatever, immediately you have a, you're have you in a bad place. That's, that's the narrow definition of racism. And that's the one Kirsten Dunst is using. She's saying, I don't hold anything against you. I don't, I don't have anything against you. But Katherine Johnson's broadens the definition. She says, you know, I believe that you believe that. But here's what you've never done. You've never done the hard work of trying to see how I feel. You've never done the hard work of putting yourself in my place and seeing how I live. You've never shared my burden with me. You've kind of lived in a bubble and I'm out there and you haven't allowed yourself to enter in to my pain. You have been complacent. here's something. I want to talk about, just for a moment, the Levite and the priest. They're not mad at the guy that's on the side of the road. In fact, they probably feel bad for him. They're sorry he's had a bad day. They're sorry he's having a bad life. It's just not their problem. I've got a meeting I've got to get to. I've got places that I have to go, and sorry. And so we can live in this bubble and say it's not our problem. So how do we get past the hardness of complacency? Number one, validate feelings. So the law reads like this, love one another as you love yourself. So here's what we all want. We want people, this is how you define loving me. You listen to me. You listen to what I'm feeling. You listen to what my life is. And if you've taken time to listen, I feel understood. And when I feel understood, I feel loved. When you say you love me, but you really don't care what's going on in me, you don't really, haven't seen things from my perspective, you haven't really listened to me, you haven't even asked about me, that love seems empty. So it's hard work to love Usually we don't tell people how we feel. We just say, how are you doing? Okay, I'm doing fine, doing great. Why? Because we don't think they're really asking. (laughs) It's hard work to really love somebody. So the beginning of this love is to validate feelings. So there's two rules in a dysfunctional home. Rule number one, you can't feel. And rule number two, you can't talk. You can't communicate those feelings. Uh, Why? Because you shouldn't feel that way. I don't feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. I don't want you to feel that way. So I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me, because I negate that. I don't want you to have those feelings. I wish you didn't have those feelings, and so I don't want you to express those feelings, not in this house. I don't want to hear it. So here's what happens. When we can't express our feelings, we become crippled emotionally trauma sets in we can't grow healthy when we feel like what we are is not valid what we feel is not valid that I don't have a voice so I can't speak and so something bad happens in the human spirit now the interesting thing is the way to healing is just the reverse of that when somebody validates your feelings that they're real that you have them, that that is absolutely true, that you feel that way and makes a safe place where feelings can be expressed. So our question today is how, our first question is, how do African Americans feel? One of the ladies down in the mall last Sunday night said this George Floyd's death didn't cause the civil unrest we're seeing it was only the match that lit the tinder that's been building up what was it about this incident that lit the fire that's gone all not just over the nation but around the world what what is it about this incident, I think that this image of a white man having his knee on a, on a black man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, and for him to be saying, you're choking me, I can't breathe, I think it expressed how black people feel in this country. That that somebody's got a knee on my neck and I'm suffocating. And I'm trying to tell you that I'm suffocating. But nobody's listening to me. There was something in that image that corresponded to how black people feel. So I've been doing a lot of learning in the last couple of weeks, a lot of reading. People send me stuff. I listen to it. And uh, I listened to something, actually watched something by T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes is a black preacher down in Texas. Um, I love, I've always loved him. He's a great, great speaker, very anointed. But this wasn't him preaching. This was him in his office just talking. Telling us how they feel. And he said this. He said, Here's what's been confusing to the African American church about white evangelicals. He said, It seems to us like the people that love Jesus and read their Bible the most would be the first ones to come and help us. But the Levite and the priest don't stop. They keep going to their meeting, and they're the ones that believe the Bible. They're the ones that practice the Bible. And the the most unlikely person comes to help. And he said, here, the white evangelicals that believe the Bible and love Jesus and talk about Jesus are not the ones coming to our aid. The ones that are coming are people that don't even believe the Bible. They're not, they're not sure what they believe about the Bible. They're not sure what they believe about Jesus. And they're the ones that are helping us more than the white evangelicals. Pastor Tom, I, you know, I don't think that's right. I don't think he, listen, here's what's 100% true. He feels that way. It's true. Validated. They feel that way. Black Americans feel that way. They they may not be responding to their feelings in healthy ways in all cases, but please validate that they feel this way. It's the beginning of love. I feel you. So once you've validated feelings, we move away from feelings to facts, because sometimes people are feeling stuff that if they had all the facts, they wouldn't feel it. And that's how feelings work, aren't they? Feelings can take us in a lot of places. So, what, what are, so we know how they feel. Now, should they feel that way? What are the actual facts? Well, let's, let's look at a few facts. Number one fact. This wasn't a story. It really happened. It really happened. And not only did a white man kneel on the neck for eight minutes and forty-six seconds until he died. But three other three other policemen watched. And and, and were and, and didn't do anything. And you know, and oftentimes I'm sure if you follow the case at all, all all three of them have been arrested now, too. And but I, I can see how easily we think we're not involved because we weren't we didn't do it. They didn't do it. Their friend did it, they didn't do it, they were just watching. How can they be arrested when they're not the one that did it? Because they were complicit. By not intervening, sometimes we we have to be involved. This really happened, and it 's a pattern. Last month, it was a black woman that was wrongly shot by police. The month before that, there was a a, a black young man running who was shot by a civilian, and they had video footage of it, but the police didn't do anything about it until the video footage went viral, and then they were made to do something about it. And I'm not making this stuff up. This actually happened. These are facts. This keeps repeating itself. What are the facts? Let's talk about good old Madison, Wisconsin. Do you know the Madison, Wisconsin is one of the best places in the entire nation for white people to live? Based on income, based on education, based on percentage of incarceration, one of the best places in all the nation for white people to live. Did you know that Madison, Wisconsin, our good old, dear old Madison, is one of the worst places in the nation for black people to live? Income, education, Percentage of incarceration. Those are just, those are just facts. So this, this is happening, folks, on our watch. On our watch. This is happening right here in our city. Those are facts. So then the question becomes, have we justified ourselves... Like this lawyer. This is where it gets really messy. Um, let me explain why. So, we, right after the Good Samaritan, we have the story of Mary and Martha. And I believe the Holy Spirit put these two together, and I'm going to explain why. In the very next story... Martha is absolutely sure that Mary is guilty. She has a need. Mary is doing nothing to help her need. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Why doesn't she do anything? Martha has probably already tried to guilt trip Mary into doing something, could not move her. So then she goes to Jesus himself and says, Lord, my sister has left me to do all the serving alone. Tell her to help me. This is called guilt. And here's the truth. Mary is not guilty. Mary is doing exactly what God wants her to do at that time. Just because other people think you're guilty doesn't mean you're guilty. Now it goes the other way, though, too. Just because other people are trying to make you feel guilty and trying to guilt you to do something doesn't mean you're not guilty. So what I want to do is not address you whether you're guilty or not. Only Jesus. Who gets to decide if, you're, if we're really guilty or not guilty? Only Jesus. You only have to answer to Jesus. You don't have to answer to me. You don't have to answer to the black community. You only answer to Jesus for your own heart. And because of that, I'm not going to preach at you right now. I'm not going to tell you why you're guilty. I'm just going to tell you my story. So the question is not have we justified ourselves? The question now is, have I justified myself? And the answer is, yes. And I'm going I'm to give you three things that have become very, very clear to me. Number one, I, just, my, I justified myself by saying this is a black problem that requires a black voice. I've, I've seen it. And I've seen what's going on, and I've prayed for these incidents. But who am I? I'm just a white guy. I don't that, if That's not my area. I don't fully understand it. And I'm praying for black voices to be raised up so that this can be addressed. Well, two Saturday mornings ago, early in the morning, God spoke to me. I, sh- I shared this a couple weeks ago. I'll just be very brief with it. But it's the scene in Hidden Figures where... Um, Kevin Costner, who's the head of NASA, is yelling at Katherine Johnson because she keeps disappearing. And he's, she is like, don't you get it? We, we've got to work on this together. We need you here. You, you've left 20 minutes twice today. And we're all here working. Where are you going? And then she explains where she's going. She's going to the colored bathroom, which is 20 minutes away. And, and she just goes off. She goes off on what it feels like to work there, to not be able to drink out of their coffee pot, to have a different bathroom, to be paid as little as she's being paid, and she goes off and she's angry and she's demonstrative and and I learned something two Saturday mornings ago. Part of why she's so angry is not just because her life is hard. And because it's difficult for her. Part of why she's angry is the powerlessness. She can't change it. Do you know the only one that can change it? Is a white male leader. And that very next scene um, is Kevin Costner with a crowbar banging down this colored-only bathroom. (laughs) Why is he the one tearing it up? Because he's the only one that's got the authority to tear it down. And the Lord said to me no 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 this isn't a black voice we need we need a white voice i want you to speak second thing that we're how uh, how i had justified myself i believed that god didn't see color So we shouldn't see color either. This was was the idea. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. Everybody is equal in God's sight. So if God doesn't see color, then I should not see color. Doesn't that sound good? Now here's the only thing wrong with it. It's a lie. God does see color. God likes color. God made it so that every tribe and every nation and every color would worship before the throne of God. What happens is when we don't see color is we don't see the cross that our black brothers and sisters carrying. We don't understand it and we can't enter into their burden. Let me read a scripture to you. This is Galatians chapter chapter 6 verses 2 and 5. First it says in verse verse 2 carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And then in verse 5 it says each one should carry their own load. So which is it? Are we supposed to carry each other's or is everybody supposed to carry their own? Here's, what, here, here, here's the truth of it. Both are true. Both are true. My African-American pastor friends, they're not asking me to carry their cross for them. They've got a part of their cross as they live in a, in a white culture and they're minority and, and this is their cross to bear and with Jesus' help they're, they're carrying it well. All they want is for me to understand that they are carrying a cross. There's part of their cross that, that I don't have. That doesn't mean white people don't have crosses. It doesn't mean that sometimes white people's crosses are heavier than black people's. It simply means white people don't have this in their cross. And black people want us to understand it. They want us to recognize it. And when they get tired, they want us to come alongside them and carry it with them for a while, to hold it. That's what we're doing this morning. We're, 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 helping, carry, we're helping lighten the load a little today in this region by talking about this. By acknowledging this. Pastor John, I don't what are you talking about? They've got a cross different than our cross. Let, let me give you a real easy example. So this week, because we've been talking about this, we are all sharing, and it gets to Pastor Andrew. Pastor Andrew's our black pastor is just up here. And he talked about what he what happens at night when he's here alone. He said, I, I'm terrified of walking past a, a window. Because I know if policemen see a black man in this church at night, they're going to assume I'm robbing him. Pastor Andrew, you shouldn't feel that. Pastor Andrew, you're you're born again. The love of God takes away fear. The love of God will protect you. Oh, he knows all that. He knows his identities in Christ. He knows that. Here's the point. I've worked many times at night here. And I've never had a thought about walking past the windows. So Pastor Andrew has to battle through these things for his identity. It takes energy. It's hard to battle through fear, especially when it just appears. And, it's a, and I don't have that battle. Do you see how his cross is different than mine? And then it's heavier? Now, it's, it, here, here's another one. This, 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 I think this will help you because it's helped me. So if an injustice happens to a white person in California, and I hear about it, I, I think it's bad. I think it, we're, I'm against all injustice. But here's the thought that never comes into my mind. That happened because he's white. That's why that happened. That thought never occurs to me. But when there's an injustice that happens to a black person in California, everyone in the black community, when they hear about it, the, without them trying to think this, it just comes to them would this have happened if they were white? Well, they shouldn't feel that way. Listen, they do feel that way, it's part of their warfare. They, they have to fight this all the time. It is part of the cross that they are bearing. Jesus, Jesus, is, Jesus is the one that made them black. Jesus is the one that made you brown. It's part of your cross. Bear it well with Jesus. But if you're white, recognize there is a cross there. It's part of loving your brother and sister. And do what you can to come alongside and recognize in this area their life is harder than your life, so then um, how did I justify myself? Third, it was hard to correct me about racism. This book, my daughter Anne did a, some blogs on this book, and this this section is very painful for me. <laughs> Uh, The the, the book is by uh, a lady named Robin D'Angelo. She is not a Christian, but a diversity educator. She writes from the perspective of a white woman whose job it is to talk to other white people about race. She's done it for years, and the white response patterns are so predictable that she wrote a book outlining them in order to challenge white people to go deeper, go past initial defensiveness and socialized norms and reactions and develop what she calls racial stamina. So here's what she writes in her book. First, the cardinal rule for white people about racism. Don't give me any feedback on my racism under any circumstances. Two, If you insist on breaking the cardinal rule, then you must follow these other rules. So so you're going to tell me about my racism, even though I don't want you to. Um, So here's all the rules. If you're going to speak, you broke rule number one, and you're going to speak anyway. Here's all the rules. Number one, proper tone is crucial. Feedback must be given calmly. If any emotion is displayed, The feedback is invalid and can be dismissed. Number two, there must be trust between us. You must trust that I am in no way racist before you can give me feedback on my racism. Number three, our relationship must be issue-free. If there are issues between us, you cannot give me feedback on racism until these unrelated issues resolved. And number four, (laughs) you must be as indirect as possible. Directness is insensitive and will invalidate the feedback and require repair. She actually has 11 rules. I just gave you four of them. But here's her new rules. She's only got two. Rule number one, How, where, and when you give me feedback is irrelevant. It is the feedback I want and need. Understanding that it is hard to give, I will take it any way I can get it. Rule number two, thank you. I know it took courage for you to bring correction to me. Now, for Christians, at the end of the day, it's not about what people think or what people think you should do or shouldn't do. If you're a Christian, it's about the Holy Spirit's ability to use anybody to correct you. It's about us being transformed into the image of Christ and that even if people correct in the wrong way and do it in the wrong way and at the wrong time and they didn't do it privately and they embarrassed me and however they do it, if the Holy Spirit's speaking, we say, thank you. Thank you. that This is how I'm transformed. Thank you for being a vessel that God, and sometimes a very unlikely vessel, that God used. And I'm so grateful because I feel more whole every time the Holy Spirit convicts me and I repent and find forgiveness. Um, so, so that's my story. So here's, here's the what am I going to do. Because here's what the black community always fears. Okay, there's been a tragedy, so everybody's talking about it for two weeks, and then it goes away, and it's out of thought, out of mind, you just go back to how you've been doing things. So what are you going to actually do to change things? Number one, ask Jesus to forgive me, and allow his blood to take away My guilt. Guys, people might want you to live guilty and be guilty all the time, and you're white, you should feel guilty. Listen, that's not what God wants. Guilt is the wrong gasoline for the human engine. It's just the wrong one. I'm guilty. Well, praise God, that's why Jesus died on the cross is to wash me clean. All I have to do is own it, bring it to him, and I get a brand new start. He washes away the stain of guilt. So we just got a new lawnmower. And by new, I mean a new used lawnmower. The one I had, we, we'd been, I'd been using that for eight years. I have no idea how that thing lasted eight years, but... Um, it finally died and so I go to this guy and he, he sells me this lawnmower. It's almost identical to the one I'm tr- I, I just, that just died and, um, and it's got, on the gas tank, it's got this huge sign that says ethanol free gas only. And you would think that that would be enough but no, he, he's got a sermon ready for me. He's like, listen to me, listen to me. This small engine like this When you use gasoline that has ethanol in it, he said, it will still work. It'll still mow your lawn. But something else will be happening at the same time. You will be destroying your engine. He said, you've got to be careful. This has to be pure gasoline. So here's the difficulty. Guilt works, guilt works, it works, it's an engine, it gets things done cheaper, quickly, you make people feel guilty, and they will start doing something, because they may, but what it's doing, it seems like a lot's getting done, but you're destroying the engine, slowly, slowly, Anger is the same thing. Anger seems like it's going to get a lot done. We want justice now. We want justice now. We're angry, and you're going to do something right now. And it seems like anger is a good engine. But anger, once again, when you use anger as the gasoline, you are going to destroy the human engine. James 1 says that the anger of man doesn't work. The righteousness of God. So what's the right gasoline? What is the right gasoline for the human spirit? I'm going to submit to you that it's the love of God poured out in Jesus Christ. I want to submit to you another way to think about the parable of the good Samaritan. We were, we were down on the mall, and one lady started speaking, and she started on, she was very angry at White's. But she wasn't done. Because then she started talking about black men. And she was angry at black men. And black men have done this, and black men have done that, and they haven't done this, they haven't done that. But she wasn't done. Then it was the black church. Black church has sat on the sideline. Black church hasn't done this, hasn't done this, hasn't done this. here's, Here's what we realized. Here's the problem the human race. The problem is the human race. So I want you to think about the Good Samaritan in a different way right now. What if that Levite that walks by represents the law they were the carriers of the law. The performance identity of the law. That it, it, it seemed righteous, but it could do nothing to help human beings that are half dead on the side of the road. What if that priest represents all of the sacrifices of all of the animals that, that they were supposed to do all the time, yet it could not actually touch that one on the side of the road? What if Jesus himself is the good well, Jesus said, Only God is good. Samaritan, did you know that they accused him of being a Samaritan in John chapter 8? Jesus is the one who saw the human race half dead on the side of the road and left heaven and came after us. And he knelt down by us in his gentleness. And what does he bring? The wine that's his blood. The message of his blood, the finished work of his blood that actually helps human beings get a new beginning because there's forgiveness. And the oil, what's the oil represent? The power of the Holy Spirit. He actually has power to do something. He can actually do something for the human race. He's got the message and he's got the power to actually help the human race. So, Pastor Tom, what does that mean? Does that mean Jesus just does it apart? No, 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 no. That's why the Mary and Martha thing. What does Jesus say? One thing's necessary. One thing. You do this one thing. And what is it? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him listening is different than hearing you can hear somebody and not respond listening means to hear in a way that you're going to apply it you're going to do something this, he is the answer so it's receiving his love and his voice and he will direct us where we need to go that is the one thing necessary this is how Jesus rescues people it's through normal people just like you and me but it, he does the rescuing through us he gives us his message he gives us his power and people are actually helped we must be filled with the love of god this is this is the right fuel for the human engine this is this is the fuel that will make your engine purr and get stronger and better and faster and it runs very efficiently in our spirits it doesn't destroy anything it actually heals us as we heal others have you ever been mowing the lawn and all of a sudden it starts sputtering stupid thing turns off you start it back up get it going a while and it sputters again and you you, get, you, you go very if you're a man you go very dark oh boy i, I knew this lawnmower was going to die at some point i need a new lawnmower and you're, you're just mad because you can't get it started in your brain. And then you have this thought. Maybe it's just out of gas. <laughs> maybe there's nothing wrong with the love, or Maybe we just don't have gas. And you open it up and you're so relieved. Oh my, the answer is so easy. Put some more gas in. Friends, this is why one thing has to be put in context with the Good Samaritan because we must receive from Jesus before we can give we must receive something that only he can give we must be the beloved we must be in that place that's why he says one thing is necessary do this one thing abide in me and you will bring forth much fruit it will happen I can direct you I can move you but apart from me you can do nothing Nothing eternal. You can be active, you can be busy, you can be tired, you can be worn out, you can be guilted out, you can be angered out, but you can't do anything that's going to last forever. Jesus is the Savior, not white people. Jesus is the Savior. So, live at his feet, and then when he tells you to do something, do it. But let me tell you something. He'll call you on it. Because here I am. It's Monday. I'm at a pastor's meeting. Pastor starts out. And here's what he says. There is no such thing as racism in America. He starts with that. Tells us a little of his story. I'm looking around to see if there's a black pastor because we have black pastors that come to that meeting because usually you know, they would be the one that I would look to to speak and the Lord's like, no, 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 no. They, even if they were here, they shouldn't speak. You need to speak. That's what this is about. You know, I'm, I'm his friend. This could, this could infringe on the friendship, but it's, it's, it's game time, folks. So I'm just like, dude, and I share my peace. It was an amazing meeting. We, we ended up going deep places and stories were told and, and he is a good guy and it didn't affect our friendship at all. It might have, but it didn't. What does Jesus want me to do? Let me tell you something you can do. Ask black people to forgive you for not understanding them. Ask them. I'm, I'm, I'm asking pastors to forgive me. Pastor, Pastor, why is that so important? It empowers them. Now, once somebody said they're sorry and asked for forgiveness, now they can, they can say, I forgive you. And that now I can move on. I, I don't have to stay in my wound. I don't have to stay in my hurt. I don't have to stay in feeling unloved and unheard. I can forgive you because Jesus has forgiven me and you're asking, and now I can start a process of healing. Asking forgiveness is very empowering because it gives people permission to let go and move on in their lives. What else can I do? Improve the culture of our church. The worship team can start coming right now. Um, So here's the amazing thing in the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus doesn't just come and help him. Doesn't just come and kneel by him and give him the message of the blood and the power of the Holy Spirit. He does something more. He takes him back to this inn. He takes him back to the inn and here's what he says to the innkeeper. I'm giving you denarii. I'm resourcing you. And I want you to continue to take care of him because I'm going to leave but then I'm going to return again. And when I return, I'm going to repay you for everything you did. He is in my care. And I will reward you. I will pay you for anything that you put. Listen, Jesus has an inn. It's called the church. He said, I will build my church. He has resourced the church with spiritual gifts. He's resourced the church with spiritual fruits. He, he has given the, the church himself his anointing and his message. And he, he's now given us an assignment. We, we are to take care of the people that he brings here. Some of us, our main assignment is going to go out and kneel by them and get them in and bring them in. And, but they've got to, they, they, God's got more for them than that. He wants to disciple them. He wants to give them a chance to heal. So he's got this safe place called the church. And he's entrusting the human race to us. And he said, but I'm going to come again. I'm leaving now. I'm resourcing you, but I'm going to come again. And I I know everything you're doing, everything you're expending. I will repay you. So this Thursday night, we are uh, we're having a night of listening. Six thirty to eight o'clock. It's in the fellowship hall. And the pastoral staff is going to be there, but we're not going to be talking. Marine Sharp, a black missionary from this church, is going to be facilitating the conversation. Here's what we would like. We've just got one question. What does it feel like to attend City Church as a person of color? Brown, black, Latino, Asian, African American, whatever you are, don't disqualify yourself. We want to hear what it feels like. And if we don't get them all in, we'll have another, we'll set up another one, but you can, you can zoom in, you can write it by email. Many of you already have emailed me your story and we want to listen to your story. And then we're going to put together a council after we've heard the stories called improving our culture. You say, Pastor Tom, why not changing our culture? Listen, we're not. Our culture is to seek the presence of God. Our culture is to climb the mountain. This is what we are about. Here's how we want to improve our culture. If you are a person of color and that's in your heart, to seek God's presence, to climb the mountain, we just want you to feel like you're welcome here. Like, it's easy to be here. It's easy to be part of that vision and I don't have to somehow feel awkward because I love that vision, but I feel like We want to all be on the same team. All right, could we stand together and let's do this song and then we're going to do something in closing. Would you mind just opening your arms for just a moment in the receive position? So one of the things that this guy does when he services mowers is he empties out whatever gas is in there and puts in gas that he knows is going to be the right gas. Maybe sometime during this message you realize (laughs) you've been been operating on the wrong gasoline. (laughs) You've been living just guilty. Or you've been living angry. And you just want to bring that to Jesus and say, Lord, would you empty out this gasoline? Please, God. I don't want to be angry anymore. I don't want to be guilty anymore. Jesus, thank you that we were the ones half dead on the side of the road. And you came looking for us. And you used people to tell us about the wine of your blood that was shed for us, that we could be forgiven, that God wants to forgive you. Lord, you you came with the anointing oil of your Holy Spirit and you made us born again and you let us know that we are yours. And then, Lord, you've made us part of this church, this inn, And Lord, sometimes we just want to confess, we haven't been taking that good care of people. A lot of people are mad at the end. And Lord, we just want to do better. We want to do better. After we hear all these stories, we're putting together a council that will keep us accountable. We're going to try to improve the culture here every tribe, every nation. Help us, Jesus. Pastor Andrew, bro, I want, to, I want to say this to you. Please forgive me for a lack of racial stamina. Please forgive me for hearing your story about your blackness the first time this week. Please forgive me. Maybe you've said it and I haven't heard it. Please forgive me. Byron, please forgive me every person of color in this place, would you please forgive me? Would you please forgive us? Pastor Andrew, would you pray for us?
1: I just first want to say I am very thankful for Pastor Tom doing this. I am also thankful for God speaking to us as a church, that he would prepare us to make us a place for his revival. And so, Father, with that, I come before you and I thank you. As we pray, Father, we ask that you would continue to do your work in making us one. Father, that you would continue, that we would know this, the blood of your son that covers us and keeps us. Father, I pray that you would make us that place for the world, for those who are hurting. Father, lift us above the confusion and all of the opinions that we are led by your holy spirit that we speak your truths father that father that you teach us it's not about us but what you have to give to the world through us father let us remove ourselves from the accusations and the things of man that we might be about our father's business in this world father that we would be your light in these times of darkness Father, continue to speak to us, continue to give us that boldness to go forth in the world and to know that no one is disqualified for us to speak to, Lord, because it's you who's speaking. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this word. And Father, as you said, that we would not hearten our hearts after hearing your voice, but whatever you need to do within us individually, Father, that you would do. And that we would allow you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.